0: what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions thank you for joining us in this episode of the fundraising talent podcast here's your host author fundraiser and master trainer jason lewis
1: hi podcast listeners my name is jason lewis and i am your host for the fundraising talent podcast before i introduce today's guest i do want to thank our sponsor QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, podcast listeners. This is part two of our conversations with the editors for The Collecting Courage, Joy, Pain, Freedom, and Love, Anti-Black Racism in the Charitable Sector. You ladies have all contributed to this, as well as a number of authors. Um, A lot of us have been reading the book for the last uh, l- last couple of years, and now you're organizing a curri- You've written a curriculum, and we're organizing a conference that we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, but uh, this is part two. So, for any of my listeners, um, uh, if you're interested in sort of hearing the first half of the conversation, I'd encourage you to go back and and grab that. Listen to that first, and then and then start with this one, um, Camilla. I thought we would start with you. We heard a, uh, we've heard Nika's story here on the podcast, some of it, parts of it. Nicole, we heard some of your uh, poetry in the last session. Can you just start by sort of just sharing with us what it like? What was it like for you to be five years in? It wasn't the story that I probably. We just start there.
2: Sure. First, I think I think it's interesting to to mention how I ended up in fundraising. Mm-hmm. I've always I always knew that I wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. Uh, it was a choice. Um, once I started my PhD, it was in graduate school. I knew I wanted to work uh, with students. Um, I think it's important for them to see um, uh, what what is possible and and. I had worked in community colleges in the US, and I knew that that was the place I wanted to be. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to do something that would involve my community, and I knew I wanted to do that through the nonprofit sector. So it was a choice. But fundraising, uh, but I never thought it would be fundraising. Fundraising was actually the opportunity that I had when, uh, when, I, when I got to Canada. Um, first, it was... Absolutely difficult to find a job uh, because you don't have Canadian experience. I'm not going to get into the which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, because if you don't get a job, you don't get Canadian experience. And so that's enough. Uh, so there's that. Um, and and then I wasn't educated in Canada, even though my, my degree was from the U.S. Still, you know, Canadian experience and all that. Uh, so I ended up working in... Uh, a nonprofit, uh, but I was doing uh, I was an um an executive assistant. Um, and from there I I, I worked with events, uh, which I absolutely loved. Um, I like the relationship building, I like the sponsorship part, like all of that kind of jazz. And and from there I ended up managing accounts. That's how I landed in fundraising, and I was doing really well. Um again, it's all about relationship building, and I've always loved that piece um skills there's a lot of transferable skills and so that's that's how it literally happened now the um there was there were many obstacles that i didn't expect um many in terms of recognition of your work right promotion that i would say fairness into the work that you're doing because that's what i think it is right promotion is about fairness you're doing well, why not? Um, and and conversations around staff, um, microaggressions, things that were said, and that people don't realize that that is absolutely not fine, not cool. Um, even the suggestion about... Um, my degree, as, again, my PhD degree, I actually never used in that organization because it was um, some of the staff felt, um, I don't even know what the word to use here to describe, but they, in, in the team, they, they felt um, uncomfortable. And so I kind of had to wear uh, the jacket that we talked about in the last episode, the first yep. episode. Yep. That's, when you ha- that's when you wear the jacket, right? Because I needed that experience. I needed that time. And so I had to do it. Um, something that I promised myself that I would never, ever do again in my life because I worked so hard for it. Um, so I would never let, leave my credential behind ever again. Um, and there were so many obstacles. I did think about leaving the sector a couple of a couple of times because you start thinking, is it worth it, right? And I think that's when you have to go back to the reason why you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Even though I entered in a different angle, I always thought I was going to do like maybe programming or research mm-hmm. because I, I absolutely love research. I was doing fundraising, but it's still in the nonprofit sector. It connects to my community. So it, I still had a purpose there. Um, But, yeah, but you get so the obstacles are rough.
1: (laughs) You describe in your book, you write much of what I had accomplished. You know, I I highlight these things and I'm much of what I had accomplished was just being diminished, discarded and disregarded and discarded.
2: Yeah, I think um, when you are going above and beyond your what is on your job description? you're doing it because you believe in what you're doing right um i don't i don't I don't ask for recognition all the time, but when you are being um evaluated in the same degree as everyone else, there's something off because of the work that I'm doing is not the standard it's not as everyone else. And so I think that's where you are like, okay, what about the things that I brought in? How about the extra money? That's so um, that's when I felt like, well, I'm doing all of this. I am really um, uh, trying to engage new partners to create new opportunities. And those opportunities are not only benefiting the organization, they benefit the ones who actually get the programs from the organization. And that's the main reason why I do it, right? Because it's it's benefiting the kids, the youth, the students in the public schools where we go do the programs. They're, it's benefiting them. Um, but when all of that is not even taken into consideration, when there are opportunities for promotion. um it makes you think twice or when your ideas are absolutely discarded and then someone says something very similar to what you just said that's great oh yes maybe we should explore that and you're literally sitting in that room and you're thinking oh my god I just said that
3: well Jason you should know in my entire 20 plus year fundraising career I was never promoted I never received one promotion. And that was not because of poor performance That's because of documented, great performance. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and, and one thing that I've, I've learned, um, not only throughout my career, because in school is the same thing. And I think my parents always talked to us a lot about race and the environments that we'll be and the situations we we'll, might find ourselves. And being most likely the only one in the room is that you don't have the opportunity not to do well because you don't get a second chance so we always excel we, we we there's no room for us to be mediocre we are excellent and even there like anika said never got a promotion so
1: can, can, for a moment can we go, i want to hear i want to hear you talk more about your the, the, I'm, I'm a father of teenagers. And when I read this particular site, the, the relationship with your family, I just want to sort of elevate this if you don't mind. My parents knew that my parents knew that if they wanted to empower us, education would be the key to our freedom. And then you later say, while many of our relatives would invest in their first homes from an early age, my parents were not able to buy their o- own home until after the age of 45 because they chose to invest in many years of education for their children. And then you talk about, and this, is, this, is, this is me reading your story and thinking about sort of my role as a father and relating to my daughters and stuff. And you say, to have an important, you talk, I can see this playing out. I think I can see this playing out around your dinner table. You're saying that you're describing that they sat down with me and my siblings. I have a younger brother and older sister to have important conversations about race and racism on a daily basis. I've never read that anywhere else. Yeah. and i've And I, and I haven't never worked actually with you all, but I've worked with women of color people of color for example, and that story there just just gets at me. Talk about that some more
2: <laughs> yeah i think I think for my parents was it was always important for them to know that we understand our background, we understand how people might treat us, but we need to understand who we are we need to understand our we need to have values, and we need to, um, regardless of the, the, the oppression, we need to stand out and you need to be you because you deserve it, because you're good enough, because you are a human being. Um, regardless of your color, um, we are all humans. People see us in a different way. It's important that we understand that. Uh, so, so the conversations in an early age was because of their choice of making sure that we will have the best uh, education that they could give us. Um, we went, we studied in a public, in a um, in a private school. The the, the education system in, Bra- in Brazil is quite different. And in a country where we we <laughs> people strongly believe that there is no racism. I mean, a couple of years ago, I would say they finally realized that, you know, a country that's been melting pot, and it's multicultural, and everyone has, a, has an opportunity. It has never been like that. Um, uh, finally, a couple of years ago, they acknowledged that, yes, there's racism in Brazil. Oh, my God. <laughs> Great. Oh my
3: Revelation.
2: Revelation. <laughs> um, so we knew that we would be in, in places that were not created for us. And they don't expect that we'll be there. Uh, So that's why those conversations were really important. How do you uh, uh, conduct yourself when you're in a classroom and you hear something from another child? That is, now they call it bullying, right? But that is abusive, that is done to hurt you. So how do you defend yourself? What do you do in situations like that? It's important that we keep the dialogue open. So that's why we would often have those conversations because throughout my entire school, from first grade to grad- graduating grade 12 here, I was the only black girl in the classroom as well as my, my my brother and sister because they chose to put in a good school. It was a private school, expensive school, hence the reason why uh, they were only able to afford their own place at age 45. My mom always says that you know each one of you was was (laughs) worth an apartment. So (laughs) make sure that that was worth it, (laughs) Um, because it was their choice. Uh, Going to a good school also ensures that you're going to a good uh, um, college or university, Uh, which which is also a path to be more successful, especially in a country where you know. The opportunities for blacks are minimal uh, that's why for them, education was so important. And also, the only thing and I can hear my dad saying that right now the only thing that anyone, no one can take away from you is is your intelligence, your ability to um, to think, to decide on your own your which your critical thinking, that's the only thing, like your, your, if smartness is a word, but I don't think that's the word I'm looking for. But you know what I mean? That is the only thing no one can take away from you. They can try to do your job, it doesn't matter. But that that you have in your brain, no one can take away. And it comes through education. So that's, that's why they were always super keen on it.
1: You know you you cite you use this quote from Viola Davis and you uh, you reference this is kind of a turn in the conversation a little bit, but it is this is you this is your section where you talk about the caterpillar and the butterfly and 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 one of the things I wanted to ask you three women was why and how much do we need? There's so much spirituality woven into the caterpillar and the butterfly is oftentimes something that we te- we learn in the church and faith traditions and stuff. It's oftentimes a metaphor that's used in those sort of settings. And there's so many different places in here. And, and you even conclude, Camilla, you even cl- cl- conclude your section, your, your, your chapter with, it is time to claim our seat at the table or build our own table. Many places are not ready for us, but we are not, we are not waiting any longer. That to me sounds like a very courageous, confident individual saying we're, we're going to do this, but it also sounds like a spiritual journey. It's built, it sounds like a spiritual journey to me. And maybe we're in, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't need to keep chatting. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, help you yeah. out. Interrupt me, out. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. stop me. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, Do you I see have it that way? It. Do you see it that way, Camilla? I would I'd love to hear that. Do you see it as a spiritual journey, that piece
2: I, there? I'm thinking about it because I know, I know, um, i want to say spirituality in my family was always very important as well it was always present and and the notion that i that, that i mentioned in in the beginning about we're all human beings we just have different colors and shapes and forms thank god cuz imagine if we're all the same that would be the most boring thing um it it's also rooted in 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 religion beliefs values and spirituality so um yeah, so now that you said that, Jason is making
1: me think like ah, yeah. Well, and and Nicole, I mean, so is- Nicole, Nicole, you label your section. Your section. I mean, you label it. Come take a walk with me. I mean, that's spiritual in and of itself. I mean, even and the gentleman. I had to go look this up, but Stephen Grillet. He's a he's a um uh, um uh because we're we're in Pennsylvania here where I'm at. He's a Quaker. He's a Quaker. Um, and so I and then she, um, uh, Crystal. References, um, you know, several authors who've referred to spiritual, you know, matters of spirituality as it relate. Uh, Nika, your section is—I mean, we're raising money for the church for the rehabilitation of a church.
3: Well, you know, I, I love the book uh, by Bell Hooks called "All About Love" because for a multitude of reasons, but one of them, which I think relates to what we're talking about, she offers the um, the definition of love by M. Scott Peck. And uh, that definition sounds like this. The will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual Mm. growth. And I think the beautiful thing that Bell Bell Hooks does in this book after that definition is to break down um, what is meant by spirituality. Because when people read that, they immediately think church, faith god they think a whole bunch of things but she's really talking about or that definition is really talking about the essence of who we are right the the purest part of who we are and that's our spirit and so when i hear you say you know you see the threads of spirituality woven through this book i'm not surprised because when I think about all that Black people have survived, when everything is taken from you, and yet you can still persist. That says something to me about the realist part of our ancestors and who we are. And it can't help but exist, I think, in vibrant ways Within us, and so when we write, no matter what we write, our spirit comes forth. I that's just been my that's been my experience with my family, with my friends, with my sisters here. And it's not to say that our spirituality all looks the same, but it is. It is connected, and it is. And it is it is a real core part of who we are, and I love how Bell Hooks connects love to that. And as you know, so much of what I wrote in the book is about how love made a way for us to be here today as Black people.
1: But Nika, when I read when I read this book, I feel like Help me with this. I f- everything that's so, you know, makes me unsettled, makes me uncomfortable, but it also makes me feel like this may be one of the first times that I've actually had a very meaningful spiritual conversation with a group of fundraisers. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we don't talk about spirituality a whole lot. Do we?
3: What? And we and we weren't really necessarily talking about spirituality, but we were talking about ourselves. We we're talking about our lived experience, the wholeness, the yeah. whole experience of ourselves, right? Yeah. And that can't help but be spiritual. And so, if you dare to step into that space and come into in, into proximity with those stories mm-hmm. and be honest, you can't help but connect on a human level.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If you allow yourself. You allow yourself to be proximate, truly. with you suspend judgment, you suspend what you think you know, and you strip it down to its barest parts, and you do exactly what you just talked about, which is as a dad thinking about the conversations you have with your daughters and then juxtaposing that with what Camila has described, because in between there is the relating. It's the stuff Mm -hmm. that lets us be in community with each other.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Nika, Nika, your use of the word proximate, proximity, you know, reminds me of the, you know, Brian Stevenson spoke at the AFP conference in 2018 and I thought I was there yes i i i and I think you and I have talked about this uh because I know Brian Stevens, I know his stuff really well um in uh, his and and I thought I bet I don't know how many people actually sort of got the depth of everything that he was sort of that, what he was calling us to, I guess you could say right
3: <laughs> well, I can tell you, I was in tears, and all the people I was with was in tears. You're, anybody who was in tears got the message
1: yes okay, yes, yes, um so. I feel like that's a good sort of lead in as we sort of wrap up the second half of this conversation, because I feel like in some ways you're not trying to pound any, you want to call us into proximity. You want to invite us into closer proximity with this upcoming event. Am I right?
3: 100%. I mean, this, this event is about relating and there's no shortcut for that. And there's no substitution for that. So we can't, be transactional. We actually need to step into relationship and to do that, there has to be choice.
1: Yeah. So talk to, let's, let's spend a few more minutes because a lot of my listeners are probably not familiar with the upcoming event. We talked about that a little bit in the first session. I want to make sure that uh, we're going to put some information in the show notes. You all are going to be uh, introducing a curriculum um, that corresponds with collecting courage. So can you tell us? Uh, A little bit about that event and and then we'll wrap up.
3: The the upcoming conference is called A Path to Action and it is an invitation and an opportunity for people to come together to learn about more about the realities uh, that are shared in collecting courage, but more than that, if if through hearing Camila's story today, Nicole's uh, experience in our last conversation, If they're asking themselves the question, okay, and so now what? What do I do next? What is my next step? Then this invitation is for them. It is for you. The conference is November 18th and 19th, and it is a virtual conference. And while we're at the conference, the editors... uh, We'll be curating the first day, the 18th, and we will be illuminating two of the modules from our curriculum, A Path to Action, Journey Towards Collecting Courage, which will launch on November 25th, the second anniversary of the book. And on the second day, our partner, uh, Mazarine Treas with Wild Women Fundraising, will be exploring with some panel guests uh, the issues of whiteness and patriarchy and how to resist both.
1: I have truly enjoyed this conversation. You've really, as I said in the previous session, um, you've provoked my thinking in more ways than one. Obviously, with the fir- with the with the book as I've worked through it, my conversations with Nika and Cam- Camilla and, and Nicole. I'm delighted that now I've had an opportunity to enjoy this this just this hour with the two of you, um, and uh, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for being our guests. Thank you,
0: Jason. Thank you.